You're listening to episode 253 of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Tung Nguyen is the creator of Jets, the new Ruby serverless framework. He is also the creator of the Lono CloudFormation framework, UFO, Jack, and Sonic. He enjoys working on cloud infrastructure and runs a DevOps consulting company called BoltOps. He's a family man and a proud dad of three girls. He's also the co-organizer of the San Francisco DevOps Meetup. Welcome to the show, Tung. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's kick off the show like we always do. Uh, please go ahead and tell us your developer origin story. Sure. Uh, how I became a software developer, I guess, and uh, yes. what made me who I am, I guess, uh, today. So I, I, I think um, the way to start this and explain this um, is my life as a software coder. It really kind of started with my last company, actually. Uh, my last company, I was there for um, almost 10 years, almost a decade. And that experience uh, taught me a lot. Um, so I was actually employee number one at a sports website called Bleacher Report. Uh, and when you're employee number one, it just kind of works uh, in a way where you kind of have to do a lot of different things. <laughs> you wear a lot of hats, you're kind of forced into situations and where you just have to learn how to do things and solve things. So that was a, a lot of uh, years of my life. <laughs> uh, I wrote a lot of code um, and I had to also, you know, you're, you're the only one there you actually have to manage infrastructure too. You're like not just a back engineer, you have to also build infrastructure too. So you really have to do both and do uh, a little of everything. So the, the main project was actually a, a Rails application. Uh, for that application, and when I looked at the GitHub statistics, uh, it was actually, um, I wrote over a million lines of code for it. Wow. Um, yeah. And the crazier thing is uh, I removed more lines of code than I actually added. <laughs> That's such a good metric. Every time we release code, I love to see if we're like it's an actual negative pull request. We celebrate those pretty hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. You have to remove your code, right? You just have to throw away. Throw away. If you don't, somebody else will. Um, Absolutely. So, so, and then the infrastructure at the time, uh, let's see, AWS had just released EC2 instances, and mm -hmm. you could spin up an EC2 instance. So, that was a big deal. <laughs> you could actually like spin up an EC2 instance, the cloud was invented. So uh, that was a little bit new too. And uh, just that experience uh, was a long experience. You learn through uh, a lot of pain. <laughs> you have to be a little bit of a masochist uh, in order to kind of appreciate software engineering, I guess, uh, sometimes. Uh, but it's also something you enjoy a lot, right? Because uh, like when you solve the problem, you just feel so happy about it. Uh, and uh, I'm not really unsure how else I could uh, learn what I've learned uh, without that experience. So that was really great. The site eventually grew uh, to 30 engineers, uh, a couple hundred employees. Uh, 80 million users, 1.8 uh, billion page views. It was a very large site, actually one of the largest real sites in the world. Uh, and uh, you want to know how many uh, operational guys were on the team? Yeah, I do. Well, one. You're talking to him. That's that's, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> it just kind of works that way. You're like you were at the ground level, right? And you're like the first person, and you just you're forced to learn how to like fix things. So I've done um, a lot of uh, development work, a lot of software engineering, a lot of coding. I've also done a lot of operational work, ops work, infrastructure work. So uh, I actually appreciate both sides of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think both sides can learn a lot from each other. I think the tools can be a little better with some developer kind of like perspective on it. And I think the tools can work a little better with uh, enough of understanding of the underlying infrastructure not to like break things and make things work still fast. Uh, but to answer the question like the developer I am, I'm actually like a Ruby developer at heart. I've done a lot of different languages, uh, but I always seem to gravitate towards back to uh, Ruby. <laughs> it's such a, a very nice language, especially when you're building like uh, web applications or even doing like operational like work. 
uh, ops tools. And so that's the language I, I use at most. And, and looking back at that experience, like uh, it's easy to say now when you're like not in the muck of things, because when you are, it's like stressful. But I can say that I've been uh, very lucky to have had lived this kind of forced experience. <laughs> and that's kind of made me uh, what I am now. That's fantastic. Can you tell us what a day in the life is for you, like with your consulting company, like where the idea of, of creating this consulting company came from and what, what you do? Absolutely. So uh, Bull Ops is a, a consultancy company focused on, I guess, DevOps. DevOps is such a general term, uh, but I'm focused actually specifically on AWS. Uh, I really, really enjoy what I do. Uh, I get to basically make tools uh, that help me do my job better. And this is something I would do probably anyways. <laughs> so it, it's, it's something that I enjoy. Uh, and well, but it's, I also have to like do something I haven't done before. And like, to be honest, nobody really knows what they're doing when they're running their own business, right? Uh, you're just like trying to fit, you're making up as you go along. So I'm fit, there's a, a lot of my time spent on that too, on that side of the business, just trying to like, okay, let me set up invoicing. Let me set up kind of like basic things like that, that were just, or just kind of taken for granted like a larger company. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, small shop is pretty much only me and a couple of my buddies. Um, but it's something that I'm really learning to enjoy a lot how to do because, um, you kind of get to control your time. You can manage that a little more. Uh, and you know, I get to do what I love, which is code uh, on both kind of the Ruby side as well as the infrastructure side. That really does sound like an ideal job, especially with what you're so passionate about. So that's really quite exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you have a lot of different open source libraries. So what inspires you to contribute to open source? Uh, I think it goes back to, I just, it makes me happy. <laughs> I enjoy doing it um, and kind of putting your little dent in the universe there. That's uh, something that's, I think that's kind of cool. And then on top of that, it helps me do my job. <laughs> it helps me kind of run bull ops and everything. So, um, and I think I don't actually start off by going, okay, because building tools makes me happy. I'm going to go build a bunch of tools. <laughs> I usually like, you know, I, I try to be smart about it. I'm like, okay, is there a tool out there that does what I need to do? Okay, let's use that. I could get this done faster. Right. And then that's a mix for happier clients, customers and all that. Uh, and then what ends up usually happening is, um, the tool doesn't fit exactly the way that I need for that specific problem. So then I kind of write or like a wrapper script around it that does all this other stuff before it calls the tool and then does all this other stuff after it calls the tool. Or I go, okay, I'm going to go contribute back. I'm going to fork the project. I'm going to you know, make a pull request. I'll send it back in and contribute back to society and all that. And, uh, and then usually at some point I just go, goodness, this is a lot of work. What if I just made a very simple lightweight tool that does exactly what I needed to do? <laughs> so that's eventually why like, I eventually create these tools because usually the problem is like the, the business logic is just customable enough. And then I think it's also because uh, I, I'm also a developer. Uh, I'm, uh, I usually make the tools just flexible enough. I introduce ERB in it. I introduce mm -hmm. conventional configurations. I, configure, I introduce like a, a common interface kind of. And I make it so it's uh, easier to actually write a lightweight tool to solve the problem versus sometimes kind of like, you know, combining all these random tools together. So, uh, so that's why I, I make a lot of tools. Uh, it helps me do my job, but I also enjoy a lot. No, it's great. You're basically out there making tools that are going to make your life easier and you're passionate and you get to enjoy working with those technologies and really the community itself gets to benefit. So on behalf of the community, thank you for all the awesome tools that you make. Now, I want to touch on one of the tools and why I brought you onto the show today. So with the announcement of Lambda's support of Ruby, there's been a lot of excitement about serverless in the Ruby community. So can you tell me the origin story of Jets? 
Sure, yes, Jets is uh, my kind of baby right now. It's a tool I'm very excited about. Um, so Jets actually started a, a while ago, more than a year ago, uh, maybe all the way back uh, until October 2017. So uh, <laughs> that was way, way before Amazon. And thankfully, thankfully, I was at reInvent. I was sitting actually very close to the front and center. And, um, and I was so happy like uh, when they announced Ruby support for AWS Lambda because finally, like it was gonna be accepted for Ruby in, in the uh, in the serverless world. For me, it was like a Christmas present. I was like, yes, finally, <laughs> that's, that's what I need. I, like, I know, I'm like, that's Christmas for me out of all things. But uh, So Jets actually started a year ago, even before AWS released official Ruby support for it. And um, so, you know, that kind of begs the question, like how did Jets work before Ruby uh, was officially released? Well, many, many people have done this before. Many people actually walked this exact road you just add Ruby support yourself by using something called a shim. So um, mm. then that, <laughs> exactly. So what's a shim? So a shim uh, is, uh, the way the shim works is, is a language. You write, um, you write a Lambda function in language that's already officially and natively supported by AWS Lambda. And then in that language, you call out to another language. Then you take those results then you shove it back up the shim. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's how a shim kind of essentially works. And it's kind of like the analogy I have fun kind of using is the movie Inception. It's mm -hmm. a, a dream in a dream, right? Except in this case, it's a languishing a language. And, uh, and like the movie Inception, the more dreams you jump into and the more dreams Lena DiCaprio jumps into, the slower time becomes. <laughs> so uh, that's the problem with the shim, <laughs> right? So when I first wrote Jets, like uh, I, uh, I started on, let's say October, then I released a version in January. Uh, I basically kind of looked at what other people had done and I wrote a shim similar to what they did. And that shim uh, shelled out and that shim was very slow. Like overhead was like one or two seconds, even with a, a pretty heavy, uh, um, pretty big memory footprint. The more memory you add to Lambda function, the higher CPU you get. I, I've, I've learned a lot of little different things about Lambda and all the quirks. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so that version of Shim was a little slow. And then uh, what happened was uh, around August, that's when I wrote uh, this article called Introducing Jets, a Ruby Service Framework. So right before that, like two weeks before that, I had this idea. I was like, this pontification. I was like, oh, wait a minute, what? You know, and going back to, I'm gonna use the same inception analogy. What if uh, you get stay in that dream for a longer period of time? Then it's gonna feel like normal speed, right? You won't, you don't notice the slowdown. I know it's a, a very corny analogy there, but uh, so <laughs> essentially, what I realized was uh, I studied the Lambda execution context, and Lambda execution context is something AWS Lambda that gets reused between requests for a while, actually a couple hours. So that Lambda execution context, if you actually keep Ruby within that Lambda execution context in memory, you basically have native speed. So uh, that's what I did. <laughs> this was, uh, I think sometime early August or something. Uh, and then I was like, oh my goodness, it actually worked, All right? And then I was like, yes, now I'm not to wait. I, I can just like use Ruby now, it's gonna be fast. Yeah, so I was super happy about that. And the, you know, it still was slow in the cold start. So then I added pre-warming. So when you deploy Jets application, it actually pre-warms it uh, by using actually Jets to pre-warm itself. It's kind of funny. Um, so anyway, so uh, so I was able to make uh, Jets actually running pretty fast at that point, but I still was like, oh man, I can't wait till they release official Ruby support because then you know then I don't have to deal with the shim business and everything. And then they released it uh, at reInvent. And I was really happy about that. And then I had like been preparing for that because I was like, okay, it's just a matter of time. I don't know when, 
but they're gonna release Ruby support. They have to, right? So, um, so I was like, please, 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 please. And then they finally released it. And then two weeks later, I switched Jets over to it because uh, I had kind of structured the code in such a way where I could like switch over relatively rapidly. So under two weeks, uh, and that was actually less than a week from uh, well, we're recording this uh, what eighteenth, uh, December eighteenth. But um, mm-hmm. I, I released this, uh, I think, on the twelfth, so six days ago. <laughs> six days ago was that was when I switched Jets over to use official Ruby support. And, uh, and it was like a lot of fun actually doing that because uh, not only did uh, AWS announce Ruby support for, uh, for Lambda during reInvent, they also announced custom runtimes and Lambda layers. So custom runtimes is really cool. It allows you to run any language you want within the Lambda uh, on Lambda servers. And then when I study custom runtimes, it's really funny. The way they implement the custom runtimes was the mm-hmm. way I implement the second, ra- second generation node shim on Jets. Oh, it's well, very that's, similar. <laughs> that's a great verification that you were on the right path. So we've touched upon, you know, that uh, that Jets uses Lambda, and I'm fairly certain it uses CloudFormation. Can you dive a little bit more into the technical details of how Jets works and how it's all set up? Oh wow, yeah, you know that yeah, it uses CloudFormation under the hood. Yeah, that's um, that's something that I struggled with at the beginning there, and whether I should have done that. But yeah, so so Jets, what it essentially does. It takes your Ruby code, and the Ruby code looks uh, very much Rails-like. But the Ruby code, it takes the methods from that, and then it essentially translates it to a CloudFormation template. Those CloudFormation templates now contain Lambda functions, and then it uses CloudFormation to provision the Lambda functions. So that's essentially what it does. Now, it's more than just Lambda functions that it translates it to, because when you go into the Lambda console and go create a function, it, it, there's a pop-up that nobody really remembers, but it asks you for permission to create a permission. Uh, so you have to now do that in CloudFormation too. You actually have to create a Lambda function as well as a Lambda permission. So that's all done in CloudFormation. Uh, Jets also has the concept of a routes. It's like config routes.rb. just looks just like a Rails routes file because that's what it's inspired from. And so the config in that, or the routes in that config file gets translated to other AWS resources, specifically in this case, API gateway resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then there's also the concept of jobs. So jobs is, again, you take that uh, Ruby method and you translate it to Lambda function. But right above that method, there are declarations like rate or cron. And that, uh, that declaration gets translated into something called CloudWatch event rule. And uh, for those who uh, are not too familiar with CloudWatch event uh, rules, it's basically a way to schedule work repeatedly. So it's a scheduler. So that basically allows you to run uh, jobs uh, outside the web request response cycle. But like at the beginning, when I was um, deciding whether or not I should use CloudFormation, I actually sat there and like thought for a little bit, and then I toyed with the version without it. And then, and the reason why I, I took some time thinking about it is because uh, CloudFormation actually has a pretty steep learning curve, and that's why I was hesitant to whether or not I should use it because uh, people will ask questions like, "Why do you have to use CloudFormation? Why didn't you just make raw API calls?" But it became very, very clear after toying with it, like very quickly, and then it became really clear when I asked this question the question of state. Hmm. So it's a very difficult to keep track of state, right? Now, yes. when you're building a framework, now you have to keep track of not just the state, but state of all the possible applications that everybody could build. <laughs> then all the possible ways they could build those applications and all the paths that they get to those states. It's very difficult to actually solve state in that case. So cloud formation is stateless. And so that made it very, actually that made it possible. Uh, because uh, it just, I didn't have to manage state anymore. And then that, that was like one of the reasons, but like essentially CloudFormation is the way J- um, Jets kind of works, but it doesn't just create one CloudFormation stack. Uh, it actually creates a bunch of them. 
So it creates a parent stack. And underneath that parent stack, there's something called a nested stacks or child stacks. And uh, each of your classes, like a controller class or a job class, actually gets translated to a full CloudFormation nested child stack and then embed it and gets reference from the parent stack. Uh, and kind of doing this way kind of modularizes everything. And then via because design and some conventions, parameters are passed in between all the stacks and it's all managed by Jets. Uh, and then kind of another the really nice thing about this is when you need to delete the application, Jets simply just calls the parent stack delete and then it cleans up everything very nice and clean. So I think it's, it's a pretty clean pattern. Excellent. And so really to get started with Jets, you need to have Ruby installed locally, and then you need to have an AWS account. Are there any other dependencies that you need in order to get started? Oh, yeah. I was actually, look, I think Node, because um, okay. Node is dependent. Uh, I think Yarn is what I use to compile the Webpacker assets. Uh, okay. um, for, to serve assets, you actually need to uh, use Yarn, because I think that's what people are using nowadays to uh, usually compress assets. Mm -hmm. So you need that. Um, I think it's recommended to use the AWS CLI, just have that installed because uh, through the use of AWS profiles, you could switch AWS accounts, actually. So that's really useful. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't think there's anything else. Oh, if you're using, let's say you're, you need a database, then you should have your database installed because when you do like Jets new demo or when you generate a new project via the Jets new command, it's mm -hmm. gonna actually do a bundle install. And if you don't have, let's say a, a database, uh, installed, then when it tries to install the MySQL or the Postgres gem, the PG gem, it's going to mm -hmm. fail because it can't compile that gem. That makes sense. Excellent. Well, listeners, we have mentioned a ton of AWS services, which I will definitely link up in the show notes. We're actually going to go ahead and take a quick sponsored break. On the other side, we'll dive into the use cases and how you can get started using Jets. Support for Ruby on Rails comes from OneMonth.com. Did you know that 50% of the best paying jobs call for the ability to code? OneMonth.com is the absolute best place to learn how to code in just one month. Their courses have helped over 60,000 students go from knowing zero about coding to building programs in languages like Python, Ruby, Hooray, and JavaScript. OneMonth.com graduates have gone on to get jobs at prestigious startups like Airbnb, Instagram, and Spotify. OneMonth.com's courses are easy to follow with step-by-step -step video tutorials, instructor-led with weekly assignments reviewed by your instructor, and results-driven with each student graduating the course with a portfolio of projects to show prospective employers, as well as a certificate of completion. Are you interested in taking your career to the next level? OneMonth provided me an account so I could take a peek at their one-month Ruby course. As a former bootcamp instructor, I was impressed with a mixture of video, audio, and text resources to keep you on the right path. For a lid in the time, head to onemonth.com slash rubyonrails to get 10% off any coding course. Again, that's onemonth.com slash rubyonrails, R-U-B-Y-O-N-R-A-I-L-S to get 10% off any coding course. A big thank you to onemonth.com for supporting the Ruby on Rails and online education. All right, Tung. So you alluded to the fact that Jets... Uh, Definitely took some inspiration from Rails. Are there any other frameworks out there that you uh, garnered inspiration when you were building this framework? Yes, a couple. Uh, so definitely, like you said, Rails. Rails is a huge inspiration for it. If you think, uh, if you look at the controllers and routes, that's directly from Rails. Um, the other frameworks, um, and I will say that also this, I don't think it would be possible to build Jets without Rails. I, I absolutely like, <laughs> Rails makes it possible. Uh, <laughs> So, but the other frameworks also, because there were a couple that actually, uh, I read through the source code and I dug and I combed through all the source code, not all, but like a, a decent amount of source code to understand how they did it. 
let's say the, the big one, serverless, the JS one, uh, that was written really all in CloudFormation. Uh, so that one, all the CloudFormation concepts kind of came out of that one. Uh, the, um, there is also Zappa and Chalice. Zappa uh, and Chalice are both Python serverless frameworks, and some concepts were borrowed from there too. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that, I guess. And then the Apex is more of the tooling and framework, but uh, that one's written in Golang, and, and it just has a very nice clean interface. The guy who wrote that writes some really nice code. Um, and, and I just, reading through the, uh, their implementations, uh, I could try to take the best ideas and concepts uh, out from those and then um, incorporate to what uh, I thought would make a good fit for Jets, but except make it Ruby specific. Uh, because Ruby, like Ruby, the cool thing about Ruby is this meta programming abilities. It's got such powerful abilities to kind of create DSLs. And, uh, and so I wanted to make Jets kind of feel Ruby-ish and make it feel like, you know, it would make sense for, for Rubyist. So let's say serverless. Uh, so that one, like I said, it, uh, serverless, what it does is there's, uh, and Apex does this too, there's a concept of global properties like mm -hmm. function timeouts and yeah, exactly, and function memory. Uh, you can figure out the application global level, but you can also need to find a function in the service firm or the Apex uh, tool. You could find a function's timeout and a memory in other settings, like in a file there. And then those uh, properties kind of get combined and merged, and then eventually you create a function from that. Well, Jets takes the idea of merging uh, configurations from different levels and extends it. So within Jets, what you could do is you could actually configure your function timeout and memory settings uh, at, at the application-wide level in a config application.rb. But you could also do the class level, let's say in your post controller, you just oh. do, go, yeah, exactly, class timeout. Then you could also, at the third level, do it at the function level by defining a like, timeout method or a memory method right above your method. So for that specific uh, method. And then what happens is Jets evaluates that coding and merges all those three levels of like hierarchy together. And so then you kind of have like very fine grained control, but again, with like a Ruby specific DSL, I think it, uh, because the meta borrowing powers of like Ruby, it makes actually Jets possible. So uh, I think it ends up making the code lo looking a lot prettier. And like from Zappa and Chalice, those are the other two frameworks. So Chalice uh, has like a, a concept like on event, do something. And then that on event kind of, they're using something called Python decorators to, uh, to kind of define properties right above the method. And then that property right above method will create a CloudWatch event rule. So that's where the inspiration from the Jets jobs came from, from Chalice. Uh, they, they, in Jets, there's a rate keyword and there's a, a cron keyword that gets kind of transformed into a CloudWatch event rule. And, and Chalice does the very same thing there. So I was like, okay, that's a really cool concept. So I'll incorporate that. And then Apex just has a really nice CLI. I just want to make sure that the Jets, I want to make it very user-friendly, like very, like the principle of Ruby, right? Uh, principle of least surprise. It should just kind of work the way you expect it to. And you should have to remember some arcane flag just to make the tool work. It should mm -hmm. just kind of like work. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I borrowed a lot of different ideas from a lot of different tools to kind and combine them in a very hopefully specific Ruby way. No, I love that. It, it's almost like a love letter to all the uh, all of the different open source projects that you appreciate. And clearly, you spend a lot of time reading code, which. Listeners, if, if you want to get better at coding, there's no better way than going out there and just reading some of these really wonderfully orchestrated projects. You learn so much from reading code. And so, um, yeah, totally I, I think that's totally really agree. cool. Yes. So what is the best use case for Jets? Oh, okay. Best case for uh, use case for Jets. So, uh, yeah, definitely microservices and definitely uh, glue code. So glue code, 
but uh, I guess I'll cover microservices first because that's what microservices is. Um, uh, or that's a perfect use. Microservices is a perfect use case for AWS Lambda and serverless generally, right? So the concept of serverless is uh, like there's still a server, but the key is you don't have to manage that server. You don't have to manage the infrastructure. There's no maintenance of that. Instead, you shift that cost and that burden away from yourself to a team of uh, 100 engineers over AWS, and they're doing a full time. <laughs> so that's great. You can focus on your code instead. So software developers like kind of would love this. Um, you, you know, you don't have to worry about that server um, as much. Right? Uh, you still have to think about it. But anyway, so this allows you the right application to deploy them without uh, dealing with that infrastructure. That's a good fit for microservices because then now you, you don't every single time you deploy a service, you don't have to create uh, a new new infrastructure. You don't have to create a new server. So Jets is probably a really good use case for microservices. Like a lot of different services, you have to create APIs and such. But I think the more interesting use case is Glue. So <laughs> I'll explain that. Like, um, so like serverless and micro uh, serverless AWS Lambda microservices. A lot of people get that already. But Glue code, I think a lot of people get this too. But um, so a lot of people use AWS Lambda functions to connect different kind of AWS services together or APIs or vendors. They just Lambda is a perfect tool to connect things together and glue them together, right? So you could think Lambda as functions as a service. You could also think as Lambda as glue as a service. Uh, so right now the name, right? And the name is still going to be this, but the name is Jets, a Ruby serverless framework. But what have you replaced it? Have you said this? Jets, a Ruby glue framework. So a really good use case for glue actually is Rails. Like, so people have asked me this. Actually, I presented on Jets a, a while ago and Someone came up to me and they asked, like, okay, why should I remove my Ruby or Sinatra or Rails app over to Jets? Right? Like, that's the question they asked. And I, I think it's a funny question. And the, the reason it's a funny question is because it makes up an assumption. It assumes something. It assumes that you have two choices. Ah. Yeah, it assumes that you have choice to I move it to Jets and, like, you know, forego what I built, right? But they don't realize that Lambda and Jets is a glue framework, too, right? That's actually a, a really good use case for a Lambda. Right. And honestly, what's the value? What's the business value? I say of porting an application from one framework to another framework. What, what is the value there? Like usually it's not something you do. It's something you do only when you have to like a security vulnerability. Like you have to do it because if you don't like there's going to be other pain. Right. <laughs> so it, it's something like you don't really do. And then, you know, unless you like a legacy, you just have to and again, people still do it. Right. Eventually you have to sometimes do that. But so porting uh, from one framework to another, I don't know if that's the best question. I think once, you know, if somebody's thinking about that, I will say there aren't actually two choices. The answer is actually a really funny one. You probably should. There's not a lot of value there. Instead, if you have a Rails app or Sinatra app or a Grape app or any Rack app, actually, use Jets as a glue component, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this interesting feature in Jets call, and I was really fond of the name, called Mega Mode. Okay, so with Mega Mode, you run one command, and within minutes, Jets imports your application over into a Rack subfolder within the Jets application. Then you run the deploy command, and then you have your Rails, Grapes, and Autrap, whatever, on AWS Lambda running a serverless. Wow. That's probably a better way to think about this, right? That's pretty so, exciting. Yeah, so like, if you think of like, you know, let's say you're like somebody like, right now, because Ruby's been announced, everybody's probably like, okay, how do I, or I, I see it, I see it happening, like, how do I get my application on like now? How do I move it onto service? Like, okay, I have to port. No, why? Why, why are you going to port? There's like no business value there, right? It's just instead, we'll just the, just use the glue component and use the deployment tool of Jets itself to get your current application onto 
serve less, and then you can move on with life, right? Do, go do other important, more important things, right? So I, I think that's a, actually more, both are good use cases, like microservices as well as kind of glue code. Gotcha. So how can our listeners support Jets? Okay, sure. Support Jets. Please, please give us some stars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> spread the word a little bit. Like stars help other people find out about the project and help mm -hmm. spread the word. So if you just like do a little thing, like give a star, really, really, really would appreciate it. Uh, also, like if you are interested uh, in like Ruby and, and serverless and, and AWS, all those things, uh, give the framework a try. Right? Just, just give it a try. There's a quick start on the website. It's pretty easy to get started. And like within a couple of minutes, you pretty much can get an uh, uh, application up and running on AWS Lambda, as long as you have the account and all that. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, I actually actively look at all the pull requests uh, and all the, uh, the GitHub issues. So if you want to contribute, just send over a pull request. I'll, I'll try to get them to them as soon as I can. And, and on the website itself, rubinjets.com, uh, there's a support link for Jets. Uh, it takes you a page where you can actually make a donation Anything helps. <laughs> I would love to work on just full time, but I live in the Bay Area. I can't. <laughs> right? It would be a dream come true for me to be able to work on it a little bit more fully, make more learning content on it, and just generally improve the framework more. So all those are different ways you can help. Awesome. I will have all those linked up. And then, Tung, how can our listeners follow you? Sure. So I discovered the thing called Twitter recently. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so now I'm on a few networks. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I actually have a YouTube channel too. And I publish a lot of learning content. And I think I've been focusing more on Jets recently uh, on YouTube. So they're all under the same uh, username. Uh, it's Tungaroo. That's T-O-N-G-U-E-R-O-O. -O. So Tungaroo is like Tung and Roo. And you can follow me in any of them. I usually post content across all of them. And I also have a blog. Uh, blog.boops.com is, is, is the blog. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Tung. As always, if you have any feedback, please reach out to me on Twitter. Happy holidays, listeners. <laughs>